Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded Podcast, the companion podcast to digitallydownloaded.net. My name is Alan, I'm your host for this podcast. I was about to say week, it's not a week, it's a podcast. With me, as always, is a man who is on the verge of changing his name to Clive. It's Matt Sainsbury. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? I'm, I'm all right, you know, having a little bit of a cheeky suss at Final Fantasy 16 myself. I'm sure we'll talk about that in, in a little while, but otherwise, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. I mean, everyone who's not read Matt's review of FF16 should go read it, because it's probably one of the best ones out there, if not the best. Um, yeah, Thank it's you. Pretty good. That Matt, it took, it Matt. certainly it certainly took me a long time to write. It was... Um... Yeah, it was the most Matt Sainsbury review that I think I've ever read in my life because <laughs> when I got to the two and a half thousand word count and it still hadn't mentioned the gameplay, I was like, yeah, this is a Matt review. <laughs> there was a lot to say. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and, and epic fair, game Clive in every way. understand slaves are bad. <laughs> yeah. understand that slaves are bad. Some of, those, some of those other reviews, um, I, I question how much of the game people played, to be honest. There were there were bits. Yeah. There were there, there were bits of other reviews. I was like, hmm, that's a little bit sus. But it's like it, I love I really games love... with like nuance and like all this other stuff. But this game, it just didn't work or some weird stuff. <laughs> Great mm. No, it just didn't work because it was made by a Japanese person, and there's a whole lot of racism in the US. <laughs> and that was the dulcet tones of Trent, a man who is in the process of changing his name. To Bart's. Hello, Trent. Bart's. Bart's. I like yeah. how you stretch for like the most obscure of all the Final Fantasy I'm characters. I'm going for like the, the, the good names. Yeah, Bart's. for our Japanese it listeners, uh, it's Butts. It's Butts. <laughs> did you did you run into Spoonie Bard yet, Alan? I've run into Spoonie Bard and I had glee on my face. <laughs> Spoonie Bard. It was very oh, wait, sad. wait. So on the Bard, which runs around, who spoons people? No, he's just a Spoonie Bard. He's just a guy. Yeah, he's gonna cast a, media on me one day. The, oh, I, I, I like my concept better. Game there's a here. there's a random guy that just like is there chilling, playing his guitar, he's just a and he's called Spoonie Bard. It's pretty good. Oh, the game's just yeah. acknowledging that. Yeah, hmm? it's really strong. I, I I appreciate that. I like that. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, a Spoonie Bard is like uh, that's just uh, it's iconic, it's iconic, it works. <laughs> um, that, well, that was the dulcet tones of a man who's looking to change his name to Jack, uh, Onion Knight. <laughs> good morning, good morning. We're all very dulcet yeah. today. Don't worry, Dulcet. You know, it's a little bit of the old one-two schedule of it all. You been playing anything interesting, Harvard? Mm. To be honest, not really. I've been going more into the retro things lately. Uh, this is a real deep cut. There was a GBA game called The Urbs Sims in the City, which is like... No, shut up. Uh, I know that game. Uh, it's awful. <laughs> no, it's not okay. It's bad. It's bad. But it's bad in a fun way. Yeah, it's not boring. It's it's shit, but it's not boring. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you, hundred percent. That that is a video game and a half. 
So it's absolutely what, bizarre. We're going to talk about this later, but I'm really interested in what possessed you to play Sims the Herbs. <laughs> <laughs> On GB, we're going to go into this later. I'm going to hold off for a moment, but that's fantastic. Trent, what have you been playing this month? What have I been playing? Well, I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing because uh, my partner's nieces were down, so... You know, we're just like doing up our island to show them how cool we've got like cool little hidey holes and stuff because we play hide and seek. I built like a swamp and put like a little Shrek like poster on the wall and it was like, get out of my swamp. And I've been playing Zelda. Oh, that's still really awesome. Kingdom. I thought you didn't like it. I, I slowly started appreciating some of the aspects I hated earlier on the game, but I still don't love it compared to Breath of the Wild. That's fair. I think that's more of a reason, reasonable take to have compared to the original take you have, which was Tears of the Kingdom is dog shit. <laughs> it, is, it is dog shit compared I'm... to Breath of Light. They should just spin off all the mechanics and just make a new series. Like, where that? why isn't there a SNES remake of like some like Mario Builder game or whatever, which was out from that era? Like, that, that's that's what needed these mechanics, not, not Zelda. Yeah, they did really just take Zelda and put Fantastic Contraption into it. Why is that a bad thing? (laughs) (laughs) It's not. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Exactly. This is the science. And uh, Matt, would you, I'm would you like you that if playing. Mario Mario started having that in it, and then you're like, it was like, uh, like yes, kind of like, yeah, no, yeah, because Mario's boring as hell. No, Mario's an elephant now. That's the best part. Yeah, but he can't build anything, so he's boring as hell. Matt, what are you playing this month? (laughs) Um, Well, I'll be going back now that it's out. It just came out today as we record, or yesterday as we record the podcast. Fire Emblem is on the Switch Online um, thingy now. And um, it is nice to be able to play that legit, (laughs) given that it was kind of the Mm. game that I played on all my emulator consoles, like over and over and over again. So, yeah, having a legit version of that to play, and um, it has that really nice pixel effect that they've got going for the GBA app on the Switch. So, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying just starting on that again, and off I go. Lin's yeah. Quest, Lin is the best. It's the most iconic one. I I wish that uh, Final Fantasy, I wish that Fire Emblem, same kind of energy, um, would just go back to the GBA style and not have all this extra, like, well, now that they did, stuff. now that they did um, engage, which was for me the most GBA style Fire Emblem that they've had in a very long time, um, I, I would love to see them remake this one, Blazing Blade, with that engine, and yeah. that that would be all I need. <laughs> just a just do Ooh. a proper remake of that Fire Emblem. Give me all my characters in 3D and stuff. That would be really nice because that is the best Fire Emblem as far as I'm concerned still it's and very good yeah it's good you Something can play it now on your later. gba yeah had on a usb in 2004 alongside a copy of metroid zero mission and kirby the amazing mirror it's such a, a a massive memory for me of going into the computer lab at lunchtime with my mates and trading gba robs <laughs> there's some trench coats. wildly different uh, gba games though <laughs> They yeah, are absolutely, yeah. Because the cool kids all had Metroid because it was a cool game for cool kids, and then yeah. the nerds the... were playing the, the Sims in the city. 
Yeah, <laughs> playing the obes. <laughs> we just play um, people playing the PC games like uh, the Halo Evolve. Like, or the Halo uh, demo? Yeah. yeah, the Halo yeah. demo. It was like the worst game ever. It was clunky and horrible, and still retains every single thing which they should have scrapped for when they made real Halo. Like that is the reason why I hate Halo. Do you know my memory? That game is is in four K. Like, if I try to remember that game, it is the most high def thing imaginable. But I shudder to think of what it actually looks like today. It's plasticine toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I have been playing a lot of Diablo this month, and I wasn't expecting to play a lot of Diablo this month. But I had that itch that is not unlike a heroin addiction that was wanting to see numbers go up and oh boy there's numbers going up in diablo uh, that's mm-hmm. a very good game ruined by an awful awful story that is written by people who don't understand how to make a story about a character interesting well that's about that right for diablo well like no because diablo 2 is like pretty interesting like it has some cool ideas it's not the focus and that's fine but in diablo 4 they've made it the focus and it's very not good it's very not good but i might talk about that later at some point anyway we're gonna move to music Yeah. 
I don't know if this month's gonna be as big as the last month because I don't know how you could be as big as last month. However, I'm sure there's always stuff coming out because that's the way capitalism works. Isn't it a lovely, lovely nightmare? Matt, you got the list. I could, I've got to say, there's just like too many games coming out. <laughs> it's complete uh, like, bullshit, isn't it? It's, it's, it's amazing. I felt so sorry for, for Square Enix because, you know, they're out there releasing Final Fantasy 16 and all the reviews are rolling in and everybody's celebrating this game and saying it's great and all that stuff. And then like one hour later, Nintendo's got direct and <laughs> they announce a whole crap load of games. And Mario RPG. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally steal the thunder off Square Enix. And then all of a sudden people are looking forward to another pile of games. It's just ridiculous. There's just too many. They need to like collude or something. So there's fewer game releases. I yeah, see. they need to make some cartels. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, let's, what we need is some organized crime. <laughs> let's let's roll through the games of July, shall we? Um, okay, on the PlayStation, we've got Guilt to start with on July six. I don't know what Guilt is, except that it's the new game from Tequila Works. I'm full of it. Which is <laughs> Tequila Works is is a developer I know the name of for some reason. Um, Guilt is an eerie. Eerie story mixing fantasy and reality in a surrealist place where your nightmares become reality. Hide from horrible creatures or confront them as you find your way through the challenges of this wicked world. So that sounds good, just on principle. I'll uh, I'll give it a go. Sounds very like 2000s. Yeah. Oh, they made Rhyme and Deadlight. Oh, there you go. That's why I know the name. Oh, yeah. yeah. So oh, they're, yeah. A, they're a developer with some cred. Give them a go. They got some stuff. Yeah. Um, on July 7, we've got the first major release of the month in The Legend of Heroes, Trails into Reverie. I do hope you've played the 16 previous Legend of Heroes games because you'll need to to See, make sense of this one. That messes me up, right? It does. I thought those big charts, I thought that was like a meme. Like <laughs> no, that's the real thing. I thought that was a joke. I didn't realize that was people being genuinely serious. Yeah. And oh boy, they were genuinely serious. I love that it exists. It's not for me, but I love that there is a game series like that where to fully enjoy it, you're going to need to hunger down and just slog through 1,000 hours. The one piece of gaming. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, as one of those people who has played way too much of the Legends of Heroes series, um, I can sit down and enjoy this one. I will be doing so. And just what I needed. So close after Final Fantasy 16, another 100 hour JRPG. There we go. Um, speaking of which, on July 13, there's another JRPG coming out, Atelier Marie Remake, The Alchemist of Salberg, which is a remake of the very original Atelier from memory. Saying that, I hope I haven't mixed the order up. But anyway, it's one of the first ones, if not the first. And I have played it a little bit in preview. It is lovely and delightful and sweet and charming. And if you like your Atelier games, this is a return back to tradition. So you will get a kick out of that. Yes, that's July 13. 
on July 13th, same day, we've got Ed Zero Zombie Uprising, which is a uh, roguelike action zombie B-grade slash em up thing, which is by D3 Publisher, which is the team behind the likes of Oni Chambara and uh, Schoolgirl Zombie Hunter. This one doesn't have the the pervy stuff in it, I don't believe. It is just an out so and out it's a, action it's a simple game. Games. Yeah. It's like a simple games brand. Yeah. Pretty much. It's just it's just gonna be an out and out action game. I don't think this one has the fan service. But um yeah, if you like your B grade zombie stuff, then these guys are actually pretty reliable at that. So you will probably get a kick out of that. You can actually play as a sumo wrestler in this one, which is pretty neat. It's always funny to see a fan service developer go, what if we made one but without the fan service? Yeah, who knows how that's going to go for them. Because they make a quarter of the profit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It's like, I wonder why. <laughs> True that. Uh, okay, so we've got um, Exoprimal coming out on July 14. This is an Yo, online, online team-based action game. Uh, that's another one of those I'm live so service excited. things, isn't it? No, kind of, but like it's it's a Capcom game, so it's probably gonna be decent. Oh, is um, it? Oh, I'm really ex yeah. Exoprimal is the dinosaur killing game made by Capcom. It right. is a four v four team based PVEVP game, and having played like a shit ton of the beta, it's actually really fun. Now um, I don't know if it will hold anyone's attention for more like a week and a half because I don't know longevity of this sort of thing. But it's really cool. I really enjoyed it. I was annoying my girlfriend the entire beta weekend, being like, it's so cool. Um, so, you know, it seems pretty neat. It's also on Game Pass as well. So if you do have Game Pass, it's the way to probably try it out, see if you like it. Um, yeah, no, I had a good time with it. So we'll see. We'll see if it's actually like good or not or has any content to sustain itself. Content, huh, Alan? Content. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's not going for art, Matt. It's not going for it. It's a fucking. It's the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. It's. It's nothing good. <laughs> but it's going to be better, but, oh better boy, than Redfall, right? I mean, like yes. It's just got to be. Not many things that are worse than Redfall. <laughs> Genuinely, not many things. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, July 18, we've got Lisa, Definitive Edition. Don't know much about this one, but Ooh, horror game. Do you not? Is this no. the sad no, RPG? A... Yeah, this is Lisa the Punished and stuff like that, and Lisa the Painful. Um, they are extremely brutal RPGs that in a perfect world would have gotten bigger than Undertale. But unfortunately, because they have a their audience is very, very limited because it contains a lot of very like full-on themes. Well, this um, one, this one's got an interesting so, concept. After a mysterious event known only as the White Flash wipes out all women in existence, warlords, mm -hmm. imbeciles, and perverts are left to rule the world of Ola. Yep, that's an interesting concept. That is, yeah, it's really, I really feel good. Like Undertale has more appeal to wider audiences, whereas this one really that's is what I mean. a yeah. you have to hate everything. <laughs> Yeah, it, this is a, I hate myself and everyone else, and I'm going to play a game that's very hard and will make me sad. So it's a game for missing. It's, it's very patho. That's a cool. It's, it's pathologic as a JRPG. Interesting. I'll um I'll keep an eye like out it, for that one. Yeah. 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 Uh, Cross Tales comes out on July 20. That's an RPG too, I think, isn't it? Cross sure Tales. It is. Yeah. 
the logo is very is that spelled cross tails with like a c-r-o-s-s or is it spelled with an x no no and the tails like t-a-l-e-s or t-a-i-l-s t-a-i-l-s cross tails i mean it's just got a very jrpg um icon thing there and it sounds like a jrpg the kingdom of raven furt a country in the hundians and the republic of hidik a nation of the fellas a war between two peoples will evolve through the interference of an ominous third power that's got to be a jrpg that sounds like an rpg there's just that's no just way the it plot can't of be fucking xenogears <laughs> there's just no way it they've can't just be. done xenogears <laughs> it's not bad <laughs> not complaining yeah. Xenogears is pretty good. Yeah, no one, yeah, I love the part in Cross Tales where the main character finds out that he's actually a demon the entire time. I'm very excited. No on... one's ever done that twist before. <laughs> on July 20... <laughs> no one's ever done that. <laughs> on July 21, we've got Remnant 2. So mm. if you like Remnant, you've got like, a second as in one from coming. the Ashes, right? Yeah, yeah, sequel. Yeah, that was a good series. Good game. It's fun. Yeah, there we go. It has its audience. So, yeah, it's coming out on July 21. Nicolas Cage it's comes to Dead to... Nicolas Cage comes to Dead by Daylight on July 25. I'm sure that'll do numbers. I don't know. As DLC, that's pretty pretty neat, to be honest. I like it. I'm just going to call it the Nicolas Cage like... DLC. He's doing the voice work for yeah. that, too, by the way. Like, it's all original, yeah. like, Nick Cage in there, which is pretty cool. He's such a weird man, but I he love is. the fact that... But he, he just rolls with care. it now. He just rolls with it now. I yeah. love it. I love Nick Cage. He's great. <clears throat> this is a this is a, a divulgence, and I am aware of that. However, I think that Nicolas Cage is the most entertaining actor because whether or not a movie is good or bad, if it has Nicolas Cage in it, you're going to be entertained. Yeah, except for one. I can't remember the name of it, but he did like he did a hyper Christian movie, like it was director tv director christian tv movie at one stage and like it, it's so Gosh. preachy and i don't know why he's in it but he's in it and it's it is just even he can't say how it. Like, much did he need money at the time yeah he must have desperately needed money because he did he doesn't even play it like nick cage he just plays it straight because that would have been what the christian director demanded of him but you know the kind of movie, movie i'm talking about right he was in one of those yeah. so <laughs> left behind uh, yes, that's I think that's the name of it. Yeah. Well, like left behind the apocalyptic. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but that's a, like a hyper preachy Christian film. Do not. It's watch actually it, the, even though the he's Western, the Western Shin Megami Tensei, because it's it's like a revelation. No, um, shut up! Fiction. You're right. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just don't don't watch it. Trust me on that one. Nicholas Cage as the demi fiend. <laughs> So I don't think it works watching it as a comedy then. No, it's not it's not funny. It, it's just very cringe. On Depends July 27. <laughs> on July 27 we've got F1 manager 2023 out. Um I think the last cool. F1 manager did pretty good numbers like in terms of I think people enjoyed it a lot. Uh and it was I think it was the first F1 manager on console. So now they've done it again and if you like your racing games to be more sim orientated and thinky then that one will be for you moving on um we've got double dragon gaiden rise of the dragons coming on july 27 if you like your brawlers then that one will do it for you and on july 20 sorry 31 
we have Rise of the Triad Ludicrous Edition coming out. So, Why does that ring a bell? Well, the book, right? It's pretty funny. Wasn't it like an old FPS series or something like that? Yeah, this one is... Um, yeah, yeah. Rise of the Triad Ludicrous Edition takes players back to the era where shooters were elegant in their simplicity and filled with balls to the wall ferocious action brought to the modern era courtesy of Night Dive's engine. So yeah, this is Night Dive taking one of the old games from yesteryear and bringing it into today. So um, there you go. You can you can enjoy that. I mean, they Night Dive is pretty reliable in terms of rescuing um, old games. They did a great job with System Shock recently. It was System Shock, oh. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and, it was. Uh, yeah, and cool. and they've done they've done so much great work. They they did great with bringing Turok two into the modern era. They did Shadow Man. Um, the, this is just their thing, and they're very good at it. So if they've picked Rise of the Triad as one to work on, then that's probably one to look forward to. What do they also do? Blood Rain. They also brought Blood Rain to today. Those are all very two thousand sounding games. I feel like Guilt would fit right in. <laughs> Yeah, they they do. They they just pick those games that you remember enjoying from a couple of decades ago, uh, and and you reckon, bringing them back. You they'll remake the bouncer. <laughs> well, that one. Will be I want the bouncer remastered. Not... <laughs> I don't care. Make give it to Night Dive. They'll do it. <laughs> Moving over to the <laughs> Switch, shall we? That was all PlayStation, by the way. Oh my god! Your... So many bloody games. Yeah. Uh, on the Switch, I'm just scrolling through the rest of June because we're recording a week before the end of the month and there's like 70 games coming out on the Switch next month. month. Great. Uh, just a quick one in case this comes out. This podcast will probably be out in time for that. So on June 30, so not quite July yet, but on June 30, we've got Master Detective Archives Rain Code coming out. That is Danganronpa by the Danganronpa creative team, but a different game, but still looks like Danganronpa. So if you liked Danganronpa... It's Rangandonpa. Then... Yeah, it's Rangan Domper. You're definitely going to want to look at that game. Trust me. I on love that, that those series have ended, but they've continued in respective series. Like there's AI Somnium Files continuing Zero Escape, and now there's this continuing Danganronpa. Yep, it is 100% Danganronpa. Like it just everything about it is just is just Danganronpa all over again uh, that I've played so far. I hope I haven't broken embargo saying that, but anyway, whatever. Fuck it. Uh, on July, uh, June 30 as well. Everybody want to switch <laughs> just because I had to say that. Yeah. The one yeah, game nobody, the one game absolutely nobody wanted, but there you go, it's there. Uh, and also on June thirty, Ghost Trick comes out on Switch, which everybody banger. does want. Absolute yes, banger. that is a lovely, lovely game. All right, now we're into July. <laughs> on July oh six, we've got. On July six, we've got Rich Man for Fun, which sounds stupid, I know, but it is a um, it is a board game by a Taiwanese developer, and there's actually very good. Fun, like the series itself uh the translation tends to be a little bit dodgy but the game itself is is there if you liked boom street or fortune street as it was called or any mm. of those kinds of monopoly tycoon but actually good games that we've had in the digital world then rich man is actually worth looking at so yeah keep an eye out for that one if you like your board games Sentimental Deathloop comes out on July 6th. I just love the name of that. I don't know anything about this That's game. That's the most Japanese name I've ever heard. Sentimental oh, Deathloop yeah. is a game that I'm going to play just purely for its name. Yeah, it's not... like um, Arcane's Deathloop, but with more emotions. 
Yeah, sentimental death loop. I love it. Uh, moving on. God, there's a lot of crap that comes that comes out that comes out on Switch. On July seven, you've got Legend of Heroes coming out on Switch as well. So if you don't want to play it on the TV, you can play it, or you can play it on your Switch with TV as well. But if you want to play it on the go, then you can play it on your Switch that way. So there you go. Uh, if you're into the Toho series, there's a new one of those coming out on July 13, Toho New World, which I think is the, it's a bullet hell, I think. They Maybe. used to be bullet hell games, but now they're just, there's no way of knowing what they are anymore. Yeah, I don't know what this one is, but I know that series has its fans, so I just thought I'd mention it here for those fans. We have... Uh, Atelier Marie coming out on Switch as well on July 13, so you can play it that way if you'd like. Wow, there's a lot of Lisa coming out on Switch. Um, so on July 18, we've got Lisa the Joyful Definitive Edition, Lisa the Painful yep. Definitive Edition, and Lisa the Definitive Edition. That's a lot of Lisa. Yeah, Lisa the Painful is the one that I'm thinking of. Lisa the the Joyful, I think, is the Yume Niki game. Right. Yeah, I think. I, think I, only, I don't know how it I, works, in all honesty. I honestly thought there was only one Lisa game, so if, as it turns out. Yeah, well, yeah. it's a thing. I think we'll all have to catch up on, get ourselves educated on Lisa, I guess, over, over the next month. Um, It's pretty neat. It's worth it. I'm, I'm genuinely interested. They're not, pleasant like... <laughs> games. they're not pleasant games, but they're fun. You have you have piqued my interest, Alan, spelled P-E-E-K. You have piqued my interest. My my goal is to give you a new game every month because <laughs> last month I gave you the uh the uh PS1 game that was based on bloody uh what's it called? The From Software series. Yeah, yeah, Kingsfield. I haven't Kingsfield. played that one. I haven't yeah, played no. that that inspired one yet, but I do have that on my list to do. It's on my wish list. You better. It. Yeah, okay. So on July 20, we have a couple of games coming out on Switch. We've got Might and Magic, Clash of Heroes, Definitive Edition which is a pretty neat little puzzle um, RPG that was originally released on the DS, I want to say. Um, if you yeah, haven't played probably. it, if you haven't played it yet, actually look for, look for it because it is very neat. Yeah, and I highly recommend that one. On July 20 as well, you've got Nobunaga's Ambition Awakening coming out, which is the 16th title in the series that has been going for 40 years. Uh, is if you like... Jesus. Sorry? Is there a new one? Yeah, yeah, it's coming out on July 20. I have oh. an interview with the developer up on digitallydownloaded.net, which you can check out as of this week. Um, but yes, it is a it is a long, long running series. And if you do like your hardcore strategy, then Nobunaga's ambition is difficult to beat. And this one is very much uh, a Nobunaga's ambition game. So gives me exactly what I'm looking for, and I'm very happy with it so far. Cross Tales is also coming out on Switch on July 20 as well. So that's got a lot of stuff coming out on July 20. We've got Haunted Hell House coming out on July, on July 20 on Switch. Uh, I, I love it. I don't know it. anything about it, but again, we'll check it out just for the name. That is a good name. This game is a horror action adventure game <laughs> where you explore a creepy mansion. You avoid damaging oh gimmicks and, and a clown and get keys as you go, oh, it's going to be such a crappy game. Is um, this going to be like a, a parody of, like, Illbleed? Probably. It's going to be terrible. 
You could, I mean, man, Illblade is so cool. The the description of the game here on Metacritic has you can return to the title screen from the menu screen, like as a feature. <laughs> I mean, round That's pretty good. That's better than most games on PC at this point. To be fair, they, you joke, but also when they don't have that feature, it's really, really. Oh, annoying. it is. Like, yeah, you'd hate it if you didn't have it, Matt. <laughs> I know, but it is yeah. That is, if if you're listing that as a feature, you you haven't got too much going for your game. It is objectively the a good feature. Do though. something when you press them. Developers, please put that more. Put that into your games. It's a good feature. Uh, okay, I'll take it. So one day later, if if um if Haunted Hill House doesn't catch your attention on July twenty, one day later you can play Pikmin Four, which hey. comes out on July twenty one. So I imagine that's probably going to outsell Haunted Hill House. Possibly, I I really Taking hope that the there. developers of Haunted Hell House aren't listening to this podcast <laughs> and being crushed emotionally from our clear, you know, love and respect of the game. Oh no, I'm going to play it and probably enjoy it. You're you gonna guys enjoy want to play it? You're going to you're going to enjoy um, the ability to return to the main menu, Harvard. No, I, I, you have to respect the developer who would put that in there voluntarily. <laughs> I don't know if you have to respect them. I think you can tolerate them. <laughs> and that's enough for me to play the game. Yeah. On on July 27, um, so a couple of days we after just, Pikmin. We just talked about Pikmin there. <laughs> yeah, we just kind of glossed over Pikmin. I mean, everybody knows Pikmin's going to be it's good fun. Pikmin. So, yeah, it's Pikmin is Pikmin. Um, on July 27, we've got Radiant Tail coming out on Switch. And I believe that will be another RPG because it sounds like an RPG. It has an RPG logo. So um, there you go. More RPGs coming out on Switch. July is the month of the RPG. On July 27, you can grab Double Dragon Gaiden on the Switch if you enjoy your brawlers on the go. So that's good. On July 28, Disney Illusion Island comes out. That's a game that I am looking forward to, I think. What that's is it? A platformer. Well, it's it's from you know Mickey Illusion Island, like Castle Mansion. of Illusion. Yeah, Castle Illusion. Sorry, from way back. That's pretty cool. So this this is a new platformer in that kind of um, tradition, and you can play as the four main Disney characters, so Mickey and Minnie and Donald and Daisy, and they go on an adventure on a two D platforming adventure. It's got a lovely art style. Check it out. Have those they... characters been anything other than mascots for the last like fifteen or so years? Yeah, no, Disney can't use them for anything. Because imagine what I mean. It's too much of a risk to use them. <laughs> like they're just too valuable to Disney, and if they screw it up, then the value of the entire company kind of gets dunked. Very funny. So, it sounds like they have them like locked up in a vault and just. Oh, I yeah. mean, they literally do do that, but it's like break glass in case of financial emergency. Yeah, I I can't see them ever doing those anything like a movie or anything like that with those characters again because they're just just too valuable to Disney. So uh, they're kind of trapped. But using them for a game like this, that could be good. I mean, it does look like it's going to be a fun game too. And I'm not the biggest fan of platformers, but this one I am definitely keen to check out. The original Castle Illusion was fantastic. And also the, the remake that happened in the 2010s, I think, was also very, very good. That was a way forward one, I believe. No, that was Disney uh, Australia. Sega, oh, Sega Australia. Sega Australia, yeah. Yeah. That was like their last game before they got shut down. Oh, God. 
it was very good. And then finally, it's kind of August, but it's August 1, so I'll mention it. Uh, Akiba's Trip Undead and Undressed Director's Cut comes out. So that's the, that's the one where you run around. Um, actually and you strip the vampires. Yeah, yeah, you rip their clothes off. It's funny. I love when you take a game that didn't need a director's cut and you just say director's cut on it. <laughs> yeah. Implying no that the director changes. had no say in that game to begin with. <laughs> I feel like you've interviewed the director for this map. I haven't actually. No, that's one of the ones I haven't. Um, that surprises me. It's a uh, yeah. Don't hit this the wrong way. It's a very Matt game. It is. I definitely enjoy it. If I had the chance to do the interview with him, I would jump at it. But yeah, I've just never, never had that chance. I've I've been interviewed interviewed pretty much every other weird fan service game director there is, but not that one. Anyway, the funny thing about this game too is like. The the description of it makes it sound like it's a fan service game because you're tearing people's clothes off, but it is not a fan service game. It's a comedy where everyone's clothes are getting removed, and it's not for like the purposes you would assume. Yeah, it's not. It's not really? super. Like it's it's not pervy by any means. Um, yeah, it's like it's it's like less than Food Wars in terms of how gratuitous it is. It's just like a regular action game where you happen to be tearing clothes off people. Yeah. I mean, the the description of it, they're finally kind of talking about it in the right terms. Boasting multiple story routes, a unique combat system in which everyday objects become weapons, and a narrative dripping with social satire and subtle nods to Japanese pop culture, which is pretty much the... That is what it is. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, if you, if you haven't played that series before, then give that a go. It is good, and I think... Um, it's good, yeah. It, it's good to have another opportunity to play it, I guess. So that's it. That's everything. I don't know if it's for, for me, but it's that's probably not for you, Alan. <laughs> but uh, that, no. that's that's the lot. Um, Trent, pick one game. Oh, you're going to pick Pikmin. You watch. I mean, Trent, I, pick I one game. Because I've already got Pikmin pre-ordered, and <laughs> go. it's just like logical to play Pikmin. There's nothing but wrong probably with the, probably, probably, that. Probably the dagger robber thing, because it's not going to be. Uh, Pikmin, like that spin-off game thing. It's not a spin-off. It's a new series. It's, it's Rang just, and Domper. It's, it's just Rang and Domper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's totally not a tread, treading on the licenses and, and stuff. Yeah, it, but yes, you you will probably. It's not real the... Akuma. What are you talking about? It's Gilaruma. <laughs> if if he's like real Akuma, he's not black and white. He's white and black. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's white with black stripes or black with white stripes. <laughs> That's exactly. I mean, yeah. If if you like Danganronpa, you're going to like Raincoat. So there you go. Good choice. Um, Harvard, you're going to pick everybody one two switch. You watch. Yeah, I have a I have a folder on my switch called Haha What, and it's just games I bring out at parties to to humiliate people. And I have three games this month I can add to that folder. Everybody's one two switch. Are you sure you're not just humiliating yourself when you bring that folder out? <laughs> Oh no, because because I can convince people that it's gonna be a fun game, and they play it, and then it's mostly fun for me. It's um, mostly fun for you. Everyone else, awful time. Harvard's great at parties. So everybody's got to play everybody one two switch. I'm also gonna I'm also gonna get um, haunted hell house, and I'm also gonna get rich man for yeah. fun. Oh, you have you played those before, Harvard? I thought they're not out yet, right? Well, there's there's a couple of there's Rich Man ten and eleven already on Switch as well. 
No, I've not heard of it. Oh, go and check them out. It's by Starsoft. Starsoft, is that the name of it? The Taiwanese developer behind the um, Sword and Fairy series. Oh, really? Yeah. That's very funny. Soft Star. Like they, Soft make Star. A, they make a massive Final Fantasy RPG and then they go, let's make Monopoly. Yeah, it, it's very... I mean, you've played Fortune Street, right? Or Boom Street or... Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly that. Like, that's, that's just what they've done. Great. I really like that. Yeah, so... It, Finally, it, we need to stop playing Mario Party. <laughs> the, the translation... Nothing against Mario Party, but... The translation is pretty dodgy. Say, what's your problem with Mario putting Party? that aside. <laughs> why, why can't game developers rip off Cluedo? Like, why can't we have a Luigi's Mansion, but it's like Cluedo? Like, Luigi's yeah, murdered in, like... Cluedo is a bad game. Cluedo Loki sucks. Cluedo, <laughs> Cluedo is better than Monopoly. Oh, yeah, actually, no, they're both like, bad. That's, they're both bad. That's, that's really... Uh, yeah. that, that's like saying, you know, something bad is better Getting than something bad. Getting kicked in the dick is slightly better than being kicked in the eye. <laughs> Why did you stop there? <laughs> Why not? You get kicked in the dick? I don't think so. Alan, <laughs> is that what you're gonna play from that? Oh me, me. Okay, what am I gonna play? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I'd have, <laughs> I have to play the Legend of Heroes. That would have to be the one, I guess, that stands out for me. Because, like I said earlier, I am in the unique position, or well, not quite unique, but close enough to unique, that I can actually play that, uh, having played enough of the ones beforehand. So, One of the four people on this planet who will understand everything. <laughs> yeah, and those other three people are such a to toxic trash fire, because that's the community that is around Legend of yeah, Heroes. Two of them are alive and awful, one of them is dead. <laughs> yeah. It's just a skeleton. <laughs> it's a it's a it's such a pity because that whole series is actually great. It has a lot to say. It's really well thought through, and um, as a project, uh, it is great that they've got this kind of massively linked world of games to to play through. They, they've done some really interesting things with the series. It's just such a pity that uh, it's so difficult to get into at this point if you're new to it and the community behind it is just that terrible they're worse than pokemon fans they are horrible people for the most part um yeah but i love the series and i'm definitely looking forward to playing that one so that's my pick for the month alan your turn um i i'm gonna cop out and say i cannot keep up anymore so i'm gonna <laughs> play ff16 and I'm going to play Diablo 4, and that's going to be my energy. And I'm really sorry to everyone who was expecting me to give a proper, like, good answer here. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't really care, because I'm not playing Haunted Hell House, because I have self-respect, unlike some of us. You're not going <laughs> to play Lisa the Painful? No, I mean, I've already played it once. It was enough for me. It's not a pleasant game. It's great, <laughs> but it's not a pleasant game. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like it's 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 you don't go back and say, "Oh, I can't wait for a cozy run through of Pathologic." <laughs> no one no one says that. So you know, it's um, it, it looks like a video game that I will I will maybe buy on sale, play the first hour of again, and then be like, "Oh yeah, I remember why I found this really hard to play," and then never play it again. What about the other one, Lisa the Joyful? Oh, that's the finale. Oh, I don't that's remember what Lisa the Joyful is. Is that the sequel one? Yeah, that's, that's the um, I don't remember it being particularly amazing back in the day. But oh, They all know, look much of the same. Yeah. It's got that same sort of art. It's Earthboundian. 
Yeah. Yeah. It looks pretty brutal. Yeah. It's fun. Anyway, I'm interested in that one too. So good. I'm in, glad. Since Alan's done since Alan decided not to do a pick, I'll do a second pick. Yeah, you're allowed to. I'll, I'll give you my pick. <laughs> All right. So that's it. Lots of games, lots of JRPGs. If you're a fan of your JRPG, look forward to not sleeping in July.
So obviously, given the fact that this is a website that specializes in the old Japanese role-playing games, it would be remiss of us not to talk about probably the biggest release of the year in terms of JRPGs. Of course, we talk about Final Fantasy 16, a game that I think is rather swell. If you've read his review, you probably know that Matt thinks it's rather swell. And I actually don't know what Trent and Harvard think. I, I, think, I haven't think bought about? a PS4, I have, that's what I think. Oh, PS5, yeah, I, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, That's it's fair. one of those. It's one like it's like the first time that you actually have to have a PS Five. Yeah, one of the six games I think that's on the PS Five that isn't on the PS Four or any other system, which I think yeah. is insane to me. It's like, why would you I, buy I, a PS Five? I, I think I think it's time that uh, things start moving to the PS Five. Like it's like what five years into this generation, like you know, it's yeah, it's been uh, a while. It's probably not five years. It's probably what like four, three. It's longer than you think it should be. Because it feels like a new console store. The Switch came out first. So it was like... The Switch is out in 2017. Yeah, that that was ages ago. But like, the Xbox and the PlayStation 5 wasn't like long after. Like that was like 2018, 2019? Mm, 2020. Because I remember I bought one with my first like salary job money. Would you say that... Final Fantasy 16 is, is PS5 buyingly good, though? Honestly, so far, I'm really enjoying it. I'd say if you had the means to get a PS5 to play it, I'd say yeah. Damn. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> I mean, the, the what we thought we'd talk about <clears throat> with regards to Final Fantasy 16, I guess, is is um, the way it handles the, the topic of, of war, because that is kind of key to it. Um, mm. And it is... It is a very dark RPG because of it. Um, and I think that's going to surprise some people, I guess. I mean, I know Final Fantasy <laughs> Fantasy's always been quite mature in tone, even if not even if it's had its kind of light moments, but it's always had kind of serious storylines. Uh and yeah, but but this one kind of backs those story lines up with um some very dark visuals and some very um brutal combat at times and, and stuff. so yeah there, there's lots of blood there's chocobos that get dided and um yeah it, it, it and there's like without trying to give too much away there are like massacres of, of civilians and stuff that happen in it as well so it, it is a out. it is a very dark game it was inspired by game of thrones uh, and that kind of it wears that inspiration on its sleeve and uh, it is it, apparent almost immediately as well that's the best part it's like yeah. you can see that they were like just yeah, we want to do our version of that, and I think that's pretty neat. Yeah, and uh, like I said, the core kind of theme behind it is the topic of of war. Uh, and what kind of struck me about it, and I guess you'll see this as you kind of move through it more, Alan. I know you're fairly mm. early in it at this stage, but uh, what really struck me about it was just how it showed how war is just kind of like a, a political game to the elites as such. Uh, that they they kind of throw soldiers into battle without really caring about the consequences of it. And while there's all this kind of suffering that goes on amongst the population and, and all that stuff, uh, they sit there in their kind of ivory towers and, and just kind of direct units around like it's all just a video game. Uh, and yeah, it, it's one of those rare times that I've felt that a video game has handled the topic of war with that level of nuance to it 
because in this industry so often war is just kind of this entertaining thing that people go to themselves and just kind of yeah, win the battles and conquer the lands and it's it's yeah. either war is entertaining or it's war is hell we're not going to show you why it's hell but war is hell yeah it's the, that kind of thing way too often it's like yeah war, if you're involved with the war it kind of sucks but yeah you're still on this grand adventure <laughs> so many video games kind of do that it's really rare for a video game to actually show the consequences of war on people who either aren't participating or don't want to participate as such um and yeah it, it's really quite sobering <laughs> it's it's quite brutal thematic it's really exciting to see that there, i was thinking this the other day but it's cool to see Japanese writers actually get a, a budget on the level of like a Ubisoft story, but with writers who aren't being withheld to the worst garbage I've ever heard in my life. Like it's just really neat. I'm yeah, really I mean, excited it, about it existing. It's it's nice that um a triple A game as such has been able to actually invest that budget into telling a triple A story rather than just making a game that's fun to press buttons for you know like the, it's also very fun to press buttons that's it is <laughs> it is but they they definitely had something to say with this game and that was the focus i think um that they wanted to get across its kind of themes and very very specifically tell its story so the gameplay and all the rest of it is in service of that which is the way i know we've talked about that on the podcast in the past but that that's the way i like to see things done and it's not often done in triple a space where everything about it is kind of in service of the key theme that they want to get across. So they've had this idea, they've got this topic, which is that war topic, and they've made sure that all the structures around it support that rather than it just being that, you know, rather than the story just being that um, shelf, you know, dressing that mm. they put on at the, at the end of it they, <laughs> to, to justify the gameplay. So yeah, it, it is much more ingrained like the whole the whole narrative is, is quite deep and <clears throat> layered, and that's why I ended up spending thousands of words talking about it in my review. So yeah, yeah, I can't think of any other. Uh, there aren't too there aren't too many other games that have really done a good job of discussing that topic of war. Like I put Final Fantasy sixteen in the same kind of caliber as Spec Ops: The Line. You know that kind of level of uh, nuanced discussion about that topic. And the only way I think that war should be discussed in video games, like if you're not going to take this seriously, if you're just going to make it this entertaining, you know, quest, adventure, whatever, then you shouldn't be doing a game about war as far as I'm concerned. So that was nice to see as well. I was quite concerned about it going in, that I thought they were going to trivialize it in some way, but they haven't. It's kind of connected to like, you know, Final Fantasy IV, to me, that was one of the first games that I played where it really it had you questioning. Yeah, yeah, it questioned your loyalties. It questioned like your assumptions of you being fighting for the good guys or the bad guys, and like what you are really motivated by. Oh, oh, it's made so clear instantly that you are a part of a, a fucked thing. It's great. <laughs> Do you have like a similar not- role in this game where you're like you're fighting on the behalf of somebody, but? You're conflicted in that sense. Well, in it, you're, you're kind fighting of, on the um... behalf of somebody who's who's neat, and then that person is no longer who you're fighting on behalf of. 
and oh boy, it's full on. Yeah, there's like a there's a there's a see see a, a section at the start where you play as young Clive, um, as a as a kind of young mid teens, late late teens. You know, you play He's as, fifteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he, you do have a section at the start where that sets things up, um, but the bulk of the game starts when you're a little bit older, Clive. I think it's five or six years later, isn't it? Mid twenties, and uh, he is now uh, a slave to an empire that captured him as a kid. And uh, yeah, he's kind of thrown into this role in war where he has to go and kill certain people um, behind the battle lines. So that that's really where it kind of sets up. And yeah, you're definitely right that oh. it's um, very Final Fantasy IV, I guess, in a sense. It's not, he does, unlike Cecil, the Dark Knight, he's not willingly uh, playing that role, but he's definitely... Um, yeah, he sees for, it as a means to an end. He, well, yeah, he's he's definitely a conflicted character. And it's funny that you mentioned it because there's actually a scene in the game which is uh, very directly um, referencing back... Is it back... on the balcony? No, there, there's a scene which is very different... Uh, referencing back to the key scene in Final Fantasy IV at the top of the mountain. Uh, I won't give away more than that. Stop it! <laughs> I won't give Stop away it. more than that. I won't give away more than that, but there is a, there is a scene in the game which is... a quite explicit reference to that because the mm. final fantasy 16 is full of references to the older games in the series and yeah that mm. one it references back to final fantasy 4 there so it's funny you notice that harvard because it is it's interesting because to me final fantasy has always been like half the series has been like let's go save the world and the other half has been like do you really want to go save this world Shit sucks. <laughs> they've, they've got they've got particularly better at it in recent more recent games uh i think because Final Fantasy twelve, for example, you're kind of playing as the bad guy in one reading of it. Um, like yeah, you, you're just killing a bunch of Imperial soldiers who aren't really doing anything wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, and the, the I, I guess the the nation that Ash and whatever are kind of um, the leaders of is is um, is a nation that is questionable. So uh, yeah, in Final Fantasy twelve, they do that. In Final Fantasy thirteen, there is kind of the the pushback against fate topic, which kind of rolls into what you're talking about, about whether what you're doing is necessarily an inherent good. So yeah, there is definitely that kind of rolls through more recent Final Fantasy games. Yeah. And um, yeah. Do you feel like you have agency in the stories you play it as well? Or do you feel like you're just a, a sword machine for other characters? Um, Clive wants to do what Clive wants to do so far. It just seems that like Clive realizes that in order to get things done, he has to follow orders sometimes. Hmm. Is there gonna be a really I bad think... scene where he realizes that he's fighting for the bad guys because he has to go kill his parents or something stupid, and then he tears up and then he fights for them, and then now he's like a mm. you know... <laughs> No. I have like, enough trust in uh, the story to have it not do no. that. I mean, if if that were to happen, I wouldn't be too sad. <laughs> That's one of my least favorite tropes of all war media is like the whole conflict is bad, but suddenly like one person who you care about gets hurt and now suddenly war is bad. Like I, it's so silly. I don't like it. Yeah, it's I mean, not Matt, that. Matt, does it do it? Good. Okay, cool. 
no, you know, it, 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 yeah, I don't want to give away too much, but um, <laughs> yeah, please don't. Really <laughs> struggling here, <laughs> but Matt is like screaming internally, being like, "I want to say, <laughs> I want to <laughs> shut Trent down." He's come up with stupid idea. <laughs> it is, it is much more nuanced than than that. Um, there, there is another time jump that you haven't even got to yet, Alan. So, um, things, oh. the the complexion of the game changes a lot when you get to, um mid middle-aged clive uh and yeah so i i, I would resist I making to too many anyone over the age of 30 called clive <laughs> I, I i would resist making any kind of assumptions about anything about what's going on just yet because yeah there's a lot that you haven't got up to but i'm very excited alan yeah, i don't want to ruin the game for you but alive? there is clive palmer <laughs> oh sorry and how's the how's the active law thing working out by the way is it like oh phenomenal best thing you've ever done i mean i think that's I'm a very that's okay a, with clicking a button to read a thing that that is something that to be honest i kind of forgot about but then i was playing the game so kind of intensely that um i i didn't need to the refresher as i was going along but yeah it is definitely a really useful feature uh, because there will be times that i would imagine most people will experience um, some kind of uh, need to, to catch themselves back up for some kind of character or whatever that's popped up into a scene that they maybe don't remember from earlier scenes. And uh, yeah, having that feature is, is useful because there is, because it is a game that really kind of looks at the politics of war quite closely. There are a lot of um, clandestine plots and there is a lot of uh, ebbing and flowing of alliances and, movements and political maneuverings and stuff so it does have that level of complexity and i think people will benefit from being able to just kind of pull up a summary of who's who and what's what as they go yeah on. it's the first it's the first jrpg i think that's been designed with like parents in mind what do you mean and i kind of like oh no my kid has decided to suddenly crack the shits and i have to stop playing for like oh. three hours <laughs> while i sort that out where the fuck was i Oh, oh no! Funny. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that sounds, sounds like a fantasy. perfect game for me if it's going to actually respect people's time, and I can pick it up like tw twenty years later and be like, "That's what I was doing." Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what I hate about nice RPGs. Speaking of respecting people's time, it's actually quite short too, which is nice. I like that by JRPG yeah, standards, something like that. Um, yeah, you'll probably be able to. I mean, if you don't do the hundred percent thing. If you just work through the plot, which is no, yeah, most, most, of, <laughs> most of it anyway, um, it, it'll only take you about 35, 40 hours to, to work through, which it still sounds like a lot, but compared to the 100 That's hour lot, games, fine. yeah, compared to the 100 hour games, I, I was surprised actually just how condensed it was as I was playing through and I was watching my little percentage completed meter um, escalate quicker than I thought it would. Uh, it yeah. sounds like the perfect uh, Final Fantasy for me. Like, they haven't a, they haven't wasted game. yeah they, they haven't wasted any time they don't compromise any of their depth like there's, there's just there's so much to talk about with that game um how does the pacing go because uh, one of my issues with 15 well, was I'm that it's, it's, the it's story really... is great but every story beat you do then there's a bunch of uh, three hours of running around driving around and you forget what you've done previously well that's the problem with the open world thing that's why final fantasy 15 had its issues was because it did do the open world thing and because it did the open world thing the pacing got thrown off and this is why i hate open world games um because it does ruin the pacing but final fantasy 16 is linear it's it's 
Um, it's not it's a more cor- FF10-y. It's not a corridor thing, so people aren't going to complain about that. But the open bits are quite condensed, and you do follow a trail of breadcrumbs through the thing. They're very carefully controlled the pacing so that you'll experience things in the right time. And yeah, it flows nicely. The the movement through the plot is really good. So mm-hmm. that was another good thing that had it, it had going for it. The only the only time I ever felt like it was dragging on a little bit um, were some of the really big boss battles can go for like forty five minutes from when you. No, I love of, that. From when you have I your also first, love that when you when you swing the sword from the first time to to when you finally put down the boss, it's like forty five minute long battle sequence. So Do that's you get breaks. No. <laughs> Do you get a water? Do you get breaks? You you have to pause it if you want to go and get a break because yeah, it it just doesn't. It just amps up in intensity. It keeps getting bigger and bigger in intensity. So I just uh, hope the dialogue the the dialogue before you fight the boss is just like, by the way, this is going to take about forty five minutes, so get ready. <laughs> no, you know you're in for a big battle because they they do a good job of ramping up to those battles. You know that it's coming. Um, but yeah, they're they're pretty intense. They needed to be because they're highlights and it makes sense from a narrative and thematic perspective. But uh, yeah, they're tiring. <laughs> Every time I finish one of those, that was when I put the controller down for the rest of the day. That's kind of nice too, because it gives that. you it modulates pace, right? If you have a game that's this long, it's meant to be played over sessions. You like it's like it's good to have rises and falls, so that you have spots to think and contemplate. Yeah, yeah, and um, they they do work into like chapters with kind of key highlight moments, and then it is a quiet period afterwards. So. Mm it has the downtime that you need to recover um, from the physical and mental fatigue of those things, because they're also very, very visually intense. They're just exhausting to look at in a, in a good way. I mean, but um, they, they are very over, they're very, very dense moments in the game. So yeah, having the quiet time afterwards is a good thing as well, but um, yeah, it's just a, it's a fascinating game. I know most people are going to talk about the combat, and I've already read plenty of reviews where people just gloss over the plot, unfortunately. But most most of the reviews, like if you just Google it right now, it'll be like Final Fantasy has a boring and bleak overworld, and it's like bad game. Like your 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 response to this is like completely different to what every other reviewer is currently doing for this game, though. I don't know if it's every other trend. It's got like a Metacritic of eighty eight right now. It's pretty people it's are pretty well. positive on it, <laughs> but. Um, except for polygon polygon hates it but... yeah for for stupid reasons oh. um frankly polygon people are reading yeah i was very get better games journalists but um yeah polygon yeah. used to be the kind of group that would frost that frost this yeah but they've got the the group who have completed like a power unit at university and undergrad and now they think they can analyze stories <laughs> I mean, I can see where some of those, um, how can I put this, reset era adjacent publications um, would have an issue with the game because, firstly, the the ethnic thing um, or the lack thereof yeah. in their view, which is which is nonsense. But anyway, another topic for another day. But also the the way the game does handle some of its topics can, I guess, be confronting if you just don't think about it deeply enough. Like slavery is a theme through it, and it's a pretty major theme. It goes hand in hand with the war theme, really, um, and the way that um, 
the power dynamics within the game work, not just within the kind of master and slave, but the fact that the summons are all kind of enslaved in a way and the dominance, which are the summoners, they've renamed them for this, but they've named them to dominance to kind of represent that relationship that they have with the, with the summons. That is a key theme within it as well. Um, so yeah, kind of the, 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 uh, the, 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 the dynamic between the master and the kind of the, enslaved is is a key thing within it so some of those publications that do a very shallow reading of that are going to find it uncomfortable i think I mean, that that's comes kind from of the, the point place of saying yeah it's kind of the place of saying like the games should be entertainment and they shouldn't raise yeah. issues like that because it's uncomfortable well that that's exactly it and and that's always the issue with the AAA space i guess there's there's that section of the community that just want to be entertained um they don't want to think about stuff and the minute that a game comes along to do that then they don't know how to handle it <laughs> um, if anything it's like the western developers have gotten too good at making very unthematic games exactly exactly and they they'll a western developer like call of duty or whatever will come in and say oh we've made this game where war is hell which we talked about earlier and yeah, sure, yeah. yeah, sure, it's brutal and it doesn't look like a fun place to be, I guess. But what you're doing in it is fun and you never actually question why you're doing what you're doing. And I'm sure yeah, there's, there's people no, in... <laughs> that copied it from like real life and like made it like really fun to shoot in the game. And, yeah, like, and there's cross-sponsorship from gun companies. <laughs> yes. And yes, Mountain like Dew. That. Don't forget Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah, I swear that the games like that, there's got to be specific staff members on those teams whose job is just to go through and be like, remove anything that could be contentious because we don't. Well, they do because they they do those games in kind of collaboration with the military. Like Call of Duty is actually made in collaboration with the military, so they have veto power over the stuff that's in it and stuff. That's why yeah. it's so powerful as propaganda for getting recruitment and stuff. Um, but yeah. It, I, I find the response to Final Fantasy 16 to be a little bit, I guess, disappointing. Um, not unexpected because I kind of go went in figuring that it would have things to say in the minute you have things to say, say you lose a couple of points on your Metacritic. But yeah, for a game it's like that classic, is... classic, classic online discourse of like, well, you're it... not saying this in the exact way that I want you to say it, therefore it's bad. It makes it difficult oh. to justify those kinds of projects. Like Square Enix... I'm hoping we'll be happy with the response they've got to the game because most people are obviously enjoying it, but it doesn't have a Metacritic of, you know, Tears of the Kingdom or whatever. You know, it it doesn't have that 95 plus score, and the reason it does is just because there are always going to be three or four critics that don't like the narrative, that don't like mm. what it's what it's got to say, because they've had the balls to say something. And as a result, they lose points of Metacritic. So it becomes very hard to justify making a game that has something to say when you know that it's going to cost you. So yeah. it, in, a, in a lot of ways, it's quite a brave game. Um, and it's hard to say. It, it's weird to say that about a, a massive blockbuster project, but they definitely took creative narrative risks with Final Fantasy 16, knowing that there was the chance that that would piss some people off. And yeah, it's did it anyway. Oh, Alan. Go for Harvard. I feel like Square Enix is one of those developers, the few remaining ones where you can look up their interviews with the directors and they're still fixated on themes and narrative. Whereas it's it's getting more common 
for an upcoming AAA release to look at interviews with developers and they you can't even tell what the story is about. You can tell what like the aesthetic theming might be like, but you just can't tell what it's going to be about. Because Harvard, that's a spoiler if you tell people what the story is about. <laughs> How dare you reveal what happens thirty minutes in? I have to say that as well. Actually, that that's a good point that Trent just brought up. The um, most of the time, as a critic, when you get a game to review, um, you get it about a week before it releases these days, and they give you six pages, seven pages, eight pages of embargo conditions. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about stuff after chapter five. Don't talk about what happens to this character. All of that stuff, right? The Final Fantasy 16 um, embargo, well, we got the review code for it three or four weeks out, actually. I've had it for ages. Oh, and, I really respect that. Which is respectable. But what really struck me was they just said, please respect in spoilers. Like, that's it. They didn't give us any conditions on it because they obviously wanted us to actually talk about it. Um, mm. And they didn't want us to put restrictions on what we could talk about because if you do that, if you put restrictions on what people can talk about, then you don't get that depth through the reviews and um, they respected the critical body overall enough. There's a, to... there's a level of confidence there. Yeah. Yeah. And like a lot. And, and it's a willingness to actually engage with the creative process, the, the, the creative side of the game, rather than just talk about how much fun it is to press buttons and how you feel because something happens to characters, which is basically all you can do with a Sony game in particular. Sony's really bad mm -hmm. for it. They're really bad for restricting what you can talk about. Um, rather than just being able to talk about it in very vague senses. I was able to get really into the kind of meat of it with Final Fantasy 16. And uh, that is genuinely surprising for the blockbuster space these days. I was really, really amazed by it. I mean, that's another problem with, with storytelling in general, I find nowadays. Like I saw in your review compared to Game of Thrones, one of the problems that I had with Game of Thrones is that people took plots to be narrative. They just went, if like, the, the main point of watching is to find out who dies and when. And if you reveal who dies and when, then like there's no point in watching it anymore, which is just such such It was, it was such very like it was destination orientated. Yeah. Was very, well, not very even that. It's just like a facts a factoid. Like you boil down your whole story to what happens and not why it happens or what it means that it happens. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. that's that's part of the issue with spoiler culture, right? That um that's how shallow a lot of um, pop pop entertainment is that if you do spoil the plot then as you say there's nothing left to, to kind of there's no reason left to to watch it you already know what happens it's like watching a it's like having somebody ruin a, a sports game result for you you know um but even then like it's fun to watch sports if you know who wins cause... well it, it is but at the same time if the, the the main reason you watch a sporting event is to see who wins you know so if somebody spoils it there is some of the experience that's kind of been undermined i guess where and that kind of they apply that to a lot of the pop culture you, you know don't don't talk about who wins in the avengers because the, all that matters is who wins or you know Who's this plot point or this who. character you know this character <laughs> shows up setting up the movie down the track um it's all very very shallow whereas uh, final fantasy 16 it doesn't matter if you know what happens to clive i try not to spoil it anyway but um yeah, it, it kind of it becomes Jesus. It's not so much it's not so much what happens to him, but why it happens, like you said, and kind of digging into the deeper themes of it and what it's actually saying with the character of Clive is is much more important. So yeah, I that's... do also make a bet. Mainly... Sorry. No, I want to make a bet. Clive either A becomes God, B 
kills God and becomes God, or C dies trying to kill God. This isn't Saints Row. That's, that's Final Fantasy Bingo that... right there. It is. It's also like every single Xeno Saga game wasn't a Gears game or Xenoblade. <laughs> How many yeah, gods what... can we kill in one franchise? <laughs> Well, I was going to ask that was, do you think that uh, with some like, like more like the game, a brands like say Sony and stuff like that, a lot of like, like video games, their characters are basically the focal point that they're like the big brand. So it's like, you know, Sony's like, we've got these horizon characters. We've got, you know, our characters from the last of us and all this other stuff. And they're the focal point in their marketing and their branding. So when they, you know, put all these embargo restrictions down, are they basically, you know, is it in a way saying that, okay, we want positive, you know, branding for our characters, which are our prime marketing. And, you know, if we get negative reviews, it means that our brand characters are responded to negatively and that can impact us as a brand. Whereas someone like, you know, Square Inks with Final Fantasy, these characters aren't going to be in the next Final Fantasy. Like they're going to throw that all out the window and there's going to be another you know, games. So they're more willing to take risks and not, I guess, hurt the characters, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's what gives the series so much freedom compared to so many other games, is that their series is built on a continuing experience rather than specific characters and plot elements. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's difficult sequels. It's because... Not, it's, yeah. I do think that the characters are kind of critically important to Square to to Square Enix and Final Fantasy, um, and if people were ever to not like one of the characters, that would be a problem for them. Still, like for a, a really good example is that of that is um, what's his name, Van from Final Fantasy Twelve. It's just as well for that game that it ended up being an ensemble cast perhaps because they realized midway through that nobody was going to like his van. Um, you tell uh, me you don't like this dweeb with his yeah. friend who hates, who hates rats. It's just, it's just, that? it's just amazing how they go to all the effort to set him up as the major character. And then just kind of subtly Jar Jar binks him out of it uh, as the game goes along. Uh, now it's, it's really important because Bosch is talking, yeah. is talking. Bosch oh, standing in the corner facing oh. the wall with a dunce cap on look <laughs> look how so look how cool balfour is you know he's just the coolest guy and he and ash are going to have this great relationship and they're they're really cool characters also, and yeah van's also, also in the Vaughn's corner here. over there <laughs> you know it's it Pedal is funny. there too but she's like got a she's got a hat on backwards <laughs> so um yeah the characters the characters are really important to final fantasy and i think clive was is a critical character i mean he's even more critical than most because he is the only character in final fantasy 16 you've got other other people kind of drop in and out of his party but he and the puppy are the only two characters that are kind of permanently uh in that game so if people didn't respond well to clive then they'd be in trouble but at the same time you are right in the sense that whoops just hit my microphone you are right in the sense that um they do change characters from game to game so they can be take more creative risks i guess with with them um they can do things to them that perhaps they can't to to other games without causing issues so yeah there is some creative freedom there i think and they do take they advantage could of that. even write a, a sub story that continues the story on where the main character of the game kicks a landmine and dies and that's his end 
Final Fantasy X two. Yeah, Final Fantasy ten two. Yeah, Final when, Fantasy ten two point five. <laughs> when 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 um Luffy Luff carks it, so they focus on the good characters in the sequel. No, so, no, that's like, uh, so it's really, really strong because it's like the the written like novel and like the audio play that they made. Titus was like having an argument with Yuta, is on a beach, thinks he sees a blitz ball, but it's actually a mine that's left over from the Machina War. Kicks it, dies, his head explodes. <laughs> and that's Titus. I must, I must say, I'm very happy that Clive doesn't laugh in the game because. Square Enix doesn't. Voice, the voice acting is very good. Square Enix doesn't have a good track record of having characters laugh. They don't have a good track record of protagonists. I'm surprised that you like him so much. Actually, like, the thing is, Clive really surprised me because I thought he was going to be this squall-like character early on, like this dude that's like st um, stoic and dead inside. Um, but yeah, he, he you, you're warm to him as as you go along. Um, you definitely a, he, he's he had, not just a dick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he's a dick he, with feelings. Yeah, he's yeah. A, he's a really surprisingly sympathetic character, and and the way he bounces off the other characters is really good too. Um, there, there's a lot more nuance in the character writing than uh, some of the Final Fantasy games of earlier. Like the earlier character, the earlier Final Fantasy games used characters as kind of um, they had very archetype characters that they were just kind of one role within the within the story. Yeah. They were one type of character. They had you know a, a very singular focus on how they presented that character. Whereas Clive is a much more nuanced person. He has he has a sense of humor, as you find out later on. You know, he's he's um, yeah, he's got the mission that he's on, and he's quite focused on that. But at the same time, the other characters in interacting with him bring out other qualities within within him, uh, and yeah, he's just a really, really interesting character. So, hmm. See, I, I must say, it is quite a, it's quite a funny because. Um, I was, you know, talking to the the PR person uh, after I wrote the review, and he he was like, uh, I was very unsure about how you would go with this, given that it's a blockbuster. So I must have a reputation out there for just hating on blockbusters. But that's very fun funny. <laughs> Final Fantasy sixteen kind of proves that you know if you do it right, then you convert me to even the biggest budget budget games there are. I mean, the problem is never with blockbusters. That was never the problem. No, it's how they handle them. That's always been the problem. The problem was with investors. Yeah. And mass marketing. Yeah. The and the size was how you use it. <laughs> yeah. I said yeah, that really exactly. quietly. Exactly that. Too, too many other games are ghost recons. Um, and shallow as anything. So, yeah. Final Fantasy sixteen, Very good game. Deep story. Lots of Lots of conversations about war. I hope that people continue to talk about it. I get the feeling that they will. Like, I don't think this game's going away, like Final Fantasy Fifteen kind of did. It's got meme potential, which is all it needs. <laughs> but you need a PS Five, so. Well, it's also yeah. got it's also got that depth that you know the more academically inclined people are going to write their essays about and stuff. So there's there's going to be a lot of thought put into this game, which makes it which is going to ensure that it endures a bit like Final Fantasy Seven and Eight and whatever. So yeah, good return to form for the series as well after. 13 was a little bit too obscure for a lot of people and 15 was just not what people fine. wanted. I, I enjoyed it, but I, I understand why a lot yeah. of people did not. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's good that we've got it back on form that just about everybody old Final Fantasy fans and new alike can enjoy it.
So, I got a message in the Slack, in the work Slack, the other day from one Mr. Harmon, and made a, made a very quite good observation, which can be distilled into, holy mother of Christ, Game Boy games kind of blow. That's <laughs> <laughs> so controversial, but yeah, they, 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 they do. Yeah, like, that's the thing, is I, I was thinking about this the other day, but um, I, I had a hand-me-down uh see-through original game boy like the big like block one that you could use probably as like a, a building tool to mm. scrape uh various like grit with um and i remember like there being maybe three or four games on it that were actually good that i had access to and the rest were all on a 356 in one cartridge oh yeah and good they times. were all terrible yeah classic like Let's go to the game store and buy you a game, except it's not a game store. It's a cooked little, like, $2 shop. <laughs> and this is what we're getting you, and it's terrible. So it's interesting because like, I still have a lot of really good memories of playing original Game Boy games because there are some genuine bangers, but it's so funny to me to think about how often we disregard how much of a roulette wheel it was to play games. <laughs> it was that's, either that's like, so oh, yeah, this game is awesome, or this game is going to break after the first level and is unplayable, or I don't understand what is happening because this is made by someone who's never made a game before and can't explain mm. to me how to play properly. And it's so interesting because I was thinking about this because my I'm a teacher in the background, for those of you who don't know, and my kids all play games that you literally cannot, like, fail. Mm. <laughs> like, the... Like, there's no way that the game is going to be like, mm, no, you can't progress anymore. Whereas back in the day, that was just the way that it was, and it was your fault. <laughs> if it yeah, broke. yeah, I remember. It just got to the point where you either finished it or you got to the level that you couldn't beat and you just waited it out until you got the next game, like a few, depending yeah. on your family, a year down the line. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but I, I, I couldn't deal with the idea of waiting another year to play something other than inspector gadget advanced mission on the game no, but that's what it was that's what it was like honestly there was a bunch of yeah. games that i remember fondly from childhood that i just never beat because there's a ridiculous level midway through that's just not made for human beings and so i would just reset and start from the beginning and play through until i got to that level and then reset again i could i'm not even joking i could legitimately walk you through the first level of inspector gadget advanced mission <laughs> I thought it was a joke. It? No, that's a real game that you. That's really... a real game. I played the shit out of it. I played the absolute shit out of it. It was terrible, terrible experience. But boy, howdy, did I ever play it? And good well, that's lord, the... I don't know what was wrong with me. That's the thing. Is it is it really that bad if you played it that much? I mean, the thing is, yes, um, yes, yes, it was. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I think, but like. A good example, I guess, from the Game Boy is everybody hates Castlevania Legends, except for me, um, the original one. You mean Castlevania um, The Adventure? Sorry, Castlevania The Adventure. Yeah, yes, that's yes, everybody hates that. So pretty much everyone but me hates it. And I can recognize that it's not a great playing game, but the fact I played it so much and I can still pick it up today and um, play it, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that is, for me, the definition of bad um is a bad game a game that is like like fun to play or is a bad game a, a game that you have played a lot i i would Wait. to to put i mean i would prefer to play castlevania the adventure 
then um what's the new lord of shadow two oh well, that's lord also a bad game yeah because but that's different reasons. Like not good. that that would is you a... rather be kicked in the dick or play Pluto? <laughs> that that is a game that I just did not enjoy playing in the sense that I, I I got nothing out of it. I can recognize that Castlevania: The Adventure is not a great game in terms of the kind of the mechanics and the way it was made, but the fact that I can spend so much time playing it and still want to play it today tells me that that's not a bad game. And I think that's the case with a lot of Game Boy games that Matt, Matt, I'm gonna do the video for this podcast and I'm going to play Castle of Any Adventure and I really hope that the bit where you jump over the little blocks with no pit beneath you, just blocks that are a little bit too wide for you to jump properly. I hope that footage in there because Matt, is that fun? It wasn't at the time. About. I mean, it was a challenge to overcome and you're talking about how, you know, these days you it can't the you can't find the time Matt you can't <laughs> You're talking about how these days you can't fail, like the the people are playing games that you can't fail at, which is true. The game over screen, which was a big thing in a lot of Game Boy games, was a, a challenge. And I, perhaps it is just nostalgia, but I don't see that as an inherently bad thing either. It's just a different way of making a game. It's very arcade-like. And a lot of For arcade games are... For listeners who aren't watching this, what I'm trying to describe is um, a bunch of jumps so maybe like one or two jumps distance apart and it's just blocks suspended in air and at the bottom it's not a bottomless pit it's just a pathway that you have to walk all the way back if you don't make every jump in a row and the old school castlevania jumps are like you can't change direction once you're in the air so if you mess it up on block number seven you walk all the way back and you jump all the blocks in order again to try and get to the next screen this yeah, screen can sometimes I, take you minutes i had i had the uh Biggest, this game. <laughs> I had the biggest trouble. Still... <laughs> I had the biggest trouble actually getting through that as a kid. Like I really struggled with that section, um, but I kept playing it, and eventually I got through it, and that was that was an achievement for me. So I spent a lot of time playing Castlevania: uh, The Adventure, and like I said, I can still pick it up and play it today, which to me just doesn't say bad game. Uh, See, I can't. I can't pick up. I can't pick up. Then... You know. Ubisoft, the game games, games back then were bad games in the sense that they needed to pad the game because they were only ten hours long. So they had these like forty five minutes long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had these crappy little sections in it where like, oh, we're just gonna make the block one one pixel like further just to like piss people off because they need to have like the kid in the back seat playing the Game Boy Advance for like you know a three hour trip to like whatever town their parents are dragging them to, like have some time to actually play the game, like. That that's that's why games are badly designed in like the old days. But then, as an adult revisiting it, if you didn't grow up with that, and then you hit that section, you go, "I am not an eight-year-old child in the back of my parents' car. I am a grown man trying to jump through these blocks, and I don't know what I am doing with my life." Well, that's when you throw the console out the window and <laughs> quit gaming forever. Well, I mean, it it's no different to any other kind of art form in that sense. Um, there are a lot of people that would think you're an idiot if you tried to sit them down to watch a black and white film from the 40s or 50s there are a lot of people that um would not find shakespeare particularly interesting to to read today um they have to because they have to study it but they would find the language to be painfully you know old <laughs> old um I, I don't see old video games as being any different in that sense that they are difficult for 
people to get into today, perhaps. Um, and that's okay. Uh, I, I don't think that's necessarily a sign that they're bad, though. Uh, I'm kind of curious about this distinction. How about we go around and can you name one game from that era? It doesn't have to be Game Boy that holds up for everybody, and one game that like doesn't, but for you, you still kind of enjoy it. Um, I'm trying to find a game that I, I absolutely, I, absolutely hated. I don't. I don't um, think any of them hold up in the sense that there, there's just. Tetris. Yeah, Tetris holds up. Well, I mean, Tetris has issues too. Tetris doesn't have the ability to save a block, which is uh, a pretty critical feature in later Tetrises um, that made the later Tetrises much more playable. So, yeah, Game Boy Tetris is obviously a classic and it was a critically important game for getting the Game Boy off um, and away, but it definitely is not um, up to the standards of modern Tetris. And it's the same. I mean, Pokemon is a Pokemon Blue and Red, a classic, or Gold and Silver, even a, a classics, and they don't hold up by modern Pokemon standards either. And fans would not accept them if they played them for the first time today. So I don't that's, think that's quite I, true. Yeah, I don't think there's any such Game Boy game that holds up in that sense. What I think is there are a lot of Game Boy games that, if you approach them in the spirit that they were made, you can enjoy them for what they are. Uh, as opposed to trying to hold them to modern standards because you, no game does that. It's the same with the NES. It's the, frankly, it's the same with Super Nintendo these days. There would be people who are yeah. relatively new to video games today that would find Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy IV or VI or... Oh, um, I was going to say, because I tried... Mario, you know, the, the, the Mario, um, Super Mario world. You know, the, these games would not be acceptable to people who are of a particularly young age and, and didn't grow up with a Super NES. So... Yeah, I, I don't think video games are just the the nature of them is that they age quickly and aging is probably not the right word. They the, the industry moves so quickly that standards change and as standards change, the habits that people get into, what they like to play uh, changes in, in tune with that and anything that came from before, before that is difficult to step into as a result. See, I'm like that with the GameCube era. Everything I'm going back to with the GameCube, like Internal Darkness, I really, really wanted that as a kid. I never got that. So I one day I bought that and I sat down, I started playing it, and I'm like, this game is hot trash. And I stopped playing it. Like, I'm like that with a lot of GameCube games I'm going back to. I think that era in general, like the PlayStation and GameCube, it like, you know, yeah, yes, like the Game Boy Advance might have had some problems. But all the Game Boy games before that, but I think the PlayStation Two, Xbox, GameCube era, like in terms of game design, that's probably the worst era because that was when 3D was starting to become modern 3D styled in gaming, and it just couldn't catch up in terms of game design techniques, and it's a hot mess. It's trash. See, that's really interesting I could because not disagree anymore with you. <laughs> That's like the the era you grew up in versus the era that you revisited as an adult, having not experienced as a kid. But I grew I think up that's in that era. Was interesting. I, I, you... I had, <laughs> like, oh. I had, I had the Game Boy. Like, I had so so. I had the Game Boy Color was probably when I was like a kid. Like, I didn't. I had a Game mm. Boy, but it was really like my parents' Game Boy. I had the Game Boy Advance, like you know, probably when I was like 
early high school sort of thing. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm a nice baby kind of thing. Like by the time I got to like, by the time GameCube and PlayStation 2 and all that sort of stuff was out, that was like early, earlier high schools kind of thing. Like that was like the prime of like my youth in terms of, oh, like I want this game. I'm on the internet. I'm researching these on forums. I want mm. this random game because it looks cool and I'm going to base my whole internet persona on this game. Like that was my era. But <laughs> what did you base your whole internet persona around, Trent? I was smooth. That's why I've got the S in Trinist. What? Oh. Yeah, oh. harvest at moon. So the EST is trin, and then EST from harvest. never connected that <laughs> because I had a I had a, an obsession with a wonderful life. So so that's that's like I I like had a whole folder where I printed out every single pre-release information on a wonderful life, and I had it in a like document, and I was going over and over it. It was like the first game I was able to convince my dad to actually buy on the internet because that was when the internet was new and scary. Like, <laughs> but, the, but yeah, that whole, a wonderful the, life still holds up for you. Uh, I haven't played the remake yet, but um, yeah, like um, I'm, I've played it probably five, six years ago, uh, and yeah, it was still relatively decent. It's. The, the the PlayStation Two and the GameCube era is no different to the to the other ones. It's the 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 the, the developers created games in a particular style at that point in time, and um, that is not relevant, I guess, today. So um, going back and, and kind of stepping into those would be challenging for some people. But I, I don't see that as inherently bad game design either. Um, I think it's more because it was a transitional era. It was taking a lot well, of Nintendo it... 64 and play, like PlayStation 1 era when that was 3D design. And then it was very, uh, it was the early era for what modern game design would then become. But like, you know, people were experimenting, like Halo came from that era. And I absolutely hate Halo. Even then I hated Halo just in terms of how it played and how it controlled. Yeah, the first Halo was a weird, weird game. Well, I mean, I, I disagree so much. I think <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I Time didn't, has told you differently. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't particularly care for Halo either, but it was obviously um, a, a game that really resonated with a lot of people. It did do um, in terms of it is established a lot of stuff about first-person shooters, and. Um, it was an enormously influential game, so obviously there were a lot of people that did get along with it, and uh, that it that's didn't... fine. I mean, I guess I guess the point is we can't look back at these games expecting them to play like they did today because without those games, we wouldn't have the games that we did have today. the 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 evolution of the video game industry is very rapid, and I just don't mm. see how we can apply the kind of modern standards to those games of yesterday. Um, I mean, a great example of that would be the Fire Emblem that I was talking about. Um, going back to that game is going to be difficult for a lot of people if you haven't played it already. The fact that there is no ability to grind up levels. and I hated that it game is, as it a is entirely, because it of is, that. It is entirely possible to get stuck to the point that you can't actually make progress in that game. If you level up the wrong characters uh, or you lose a couple of characters and continue on and... Um, you, you can very easily get stuck. I remember I had to play it through five or six times before I actually was was able to finish it because 
uh, I was new to Fire Emblem at the time, so I wasn't really used to it. And I did the wrong things um, from level to level. And you've got to really plan out your entire game strategy from the earliest levels to to get through it. So there are a lot of people that are going to really struggle with that. But is it is it a bad game design? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I think For it's me, just yes. a product a product of a time. I, I I don't think you can hold the Fire Emblem Engage quality of it or Three Houses or whatever. You can't apply those standards to a game from the GBA uh, and expect to walk away with any appreciation of it. So really for me, I think that's the thing. It's it's not so much about enjoying Game Boy or Game Boy Advance or Super Nintendo or Xbox or PlayStation 2 games or whatever. It, it's not about enjoying those games as you would enjoy a game today. It's about being whether you're able to appreciate what they were and what they did. Um, and I think that's kind of the distinguishing quality between a Game Boy game that's worth playing today, like Tetris or Pokemon Blue or Super Mario Land or um, what other? Don't say Castlevania. Don't say it. For I, I me, want to touch on for me, Castlevania, but, like, but because you know. Matt must be crazy because every single Castlevania game, I do not know anyone which is actually a good game. Like fans are worse than you're Final also wrong. Fans <laughs> are worse just... than Final Fantasy in terms of like selecting their one Castlevania. I remember people loving the Game Boy Advance games, but that's about it. Like everyone's like, oh, the next Castlevania game is hot trash. Like it's like Castlevania is like horrible in terms of like no one. Yeah, no, that's real. that's What's just. That's just you, Trent. But um, yeah. What what I was saying was, you're you, those games, the 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 kind of Game Boy games that you can go back to and you can, you people are still playing today. Those ones, they're the ones that people appreciate, not necessarily enjoy, I guess. But in comparison to the Game Boy Port of Mortal Kombat or whatever, which is just a, an absolute trash fire on every level. Um, no, there, there's so nothing good. you Stop there it. is nothing you can appreciate about that game today. Um, it's just, yeah, but there's a lot you can appreciate about Pokemon Blue, even if you don't think it is up to the standards of modern game design. So I think that's the difference, uh, for me anyway, that's, that's the, that's the line between a Game Boy game that is still, you know, worth trying or picking up or giving a go to today or putting on the Nintendo Switch, um, online service or whatever. The difference between those games and the games that are not is just simply whether you can appreciate them. Not necessarily enjoy them, but appreciate them for what they were. Is that like a different mode of playing then? Like if you're going to go back and play Ocarina of Time or whatever, are you not playing it I was going to bring up Ocarina playing of Time. It for like, Ocarina of Time playing is a really like good understand example. what life was yeah. like in the 90s. It's, yeah, because that game is still pretty so fun. To steal, the, to steal the horse a little bit here. I find it so funny when people say, oh, the best game of all time, Ocarina of Time. It's like, no, it isn't. Have you played it? Like genuinely, Majora's Mask. Like, it, yeah, it will always important. be Majora's Mask from the Nintendo sixty four era. Like it had more nuance of in the story. It worked out the mechanics from Ocarina of Time. It was a lot more dungeon. Like a lot of people, are like I love the dungeons. Like there was some really great dungeon design, and it also Majora's Mask also had that whole the open world is the dungeon mechanic, which like things like Skyward Sword and later Zelda sort of like use a lot of like. For the most influential game in the series, it probably isn't actually offering a time. It's probably Majora's Mask. I love that Majora's Mask is like the connoisseur choice for Zelda. <laughs> like if someone says their favorite is Majora's Mask or like Link's Awakening, you're like, this guy knows his stuff. I don't think I, yeah. I, I don't think it really matters which game you identify as kind of the best game of all time. It can be Ocarina of Time if you want to. That's fine. 
Uh, that that's like saying Citizen Kane is the best no, film no, film of all like, time. But it's more referencing you, like to the the Metacritic stuff where it's like, oh, it's got a ninety eight Metacritic. It's the best game of all time. Mm. Well, for the so time, it, is bad. it's like. For, for, the, this podcast. Yeah. for the time, did it not deserve the 98 on Metacritic? It did, obviously. Yeah, it probably did. Um, and that, that's the thing. That's the point. If you try and apply modern Zelda standards to Ocarina of Time, you're going to walk away very disappointed. But if you look at Ocarina of Time as a product of its point in time, then it was a transformative experience that um, was was just incredible it was if there was the internet around at that time people would have talked about it for months and on on end um so yeah i i think i i think it's because perhaps the video game industry is still relatively new and um people don't yet have that ability to to apply i guess an understanding that it came from that point in time like if you're to look at the other art forms if you were to sit down to citizen kane you don't expect citizen kane to have the pacing or the writing style or anything else or the kind of action of um of an avengers film or whatever the but, menu starring john leguizamo yeah yeah the menu there's a good example you know if you if you watch citizen kane today it, it it's quite difficult because it is very slow paced by modern cinema standards it is very i mean the black and white thing is itself an aesthetic thing that a lot of people struggle with so there's a lot about citizen kane that makes it a product of its time as opposed to a film that is relevant today but people still talk about that film and people still watch that film. People still study that film because as a product of its time, it has, it has worth and it is important to be able to look at it in that way. And I think it's the same with literature. It's the same with music. You know, nobody expects Bach to play like Taylor Swift, but, and, and they don't assess Bach against what Taylor Swift's done. Um, but video games, because they're quite new, I think there is still that somehow there's that expectation that a Game Boy game should play like Fortnite, but it can't. So why are we kind of assessing a Game Boy game against what Fortnite's done? There, there is. We're that. missing a swath of people who only watch new movies and only read new books and only like listen to new music. I'm sure gaming is very similar. A lot of people only play yeah. games. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are people that. Um, would would never even open up the apps on the Switch to to well, play the old games. Um, unless that's why were... I guess the remake genre is so big right now. Is it? It's just doing that. Well, that that is obviously yeah yeah. Buy that... the FF. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like um, the original version of seven. For for yeah. example, um, Resident Evil is a good example of that. Resident yeah, Evil Four. Oh, yeah, yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah, Resident Evil Four is a product of the PS2 PS2 era. Uh, and if you were to apply that game by the standards of today, yeah, of course you can play it on whatever, but it doesn't have the same um, qualities that kind of we take for granted in modern games. That's why they did the remake. The remake has uh, a lot of value because it takes the core of Resident Evil 4 and puts it in the modern era. So that Resident is... Evil is a great example because Resident Evil, it, the hinges on being scary, hinges on having an emotional response immediately through the use of technology. So if you don't get that by playing the original PS1 Resident Evil, then you need a remake compared to something like Final Fantasy VI or four, where they've not done a 3D remake, not of six anyway, because they haven't really needed to. Well, they, they would because there would be a lot of people that have a response to Final Fantasy VI if they were to play it today 
like you've had to um a lot of the Game Boy games that you've been playing Harvard that yeah, unless they remember playing it as a kid or whatever, um, or when it was kind of closer to being a new new game, then it would seem quite odd to them. Like those those pixel remasters, for example, um, they weren't made for the kids playing Fortnite or for yeah, people I guess who they're not like the big nerds like us. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> Final Fantasy Final, Final Fantasy sixteen was an effort to find a new audience for Final Fantasy. You know, Final Fantasy sixteen was an effort to to engage with modern players. The pixel remasters were there for people who have the nostalgia for the 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 originals. So, the going back to them. Final Fantasy sixteen uh, six would be a candidate for for a full remake, um, because it needs to be brought to the modern era. Otherwise, people are going to dismiss it for being not up to the standards of video games today. And I you think know what? this that, makes a lot of sense because I, I just, the one thing I didn't understand. Sorry, Matt. No, no, I was just saying. I I just think that we all do it. Um, you know, I, I struggle with playing a lot of games <laughs> that uh to to from yesteryear when i pick them up on my emulators as well um but i think we just need to remember that we need to be judging these games against what they were when they were released and i, I just I, I don't think we have that yet in the video game industry we don't have that ability to see games outside of what is currently the trend mm. I was just confused because you know how there's this trend lately where they announce a bunch of re-releases and also a remaster of the same game they're re-releasing. I've always been confused. Like with Trials of Mana, they released mm. the original SNES translation and then they made a remake. And with the Metal Gear games, I think something similar is happening. They're re-releasing the trilogy and then also remaking one of them. I think maybe that's why they're doing that, is that there's different factions or different demographics yeah, that we care about Different it. levels of nerdery. It's like, oh, you guys are nerds for the original. All right, have the original. Oh, you guys want a remake because you can't be bothered to play the original? Here's a remake, you nerds. And then they make money. I mean, in, yeah. in an ideal world, they'd have both of them <laughs> side by side and you buy them in the one packet, you know. Um, so yeah. then you would be able to kind of see the original in all its messy glory or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then you'd be able to play the kind of the version that is more suited to the way we play games today. I mean, a good example of that was Advance Wars One and Two. I can't stand the um, <laughs> the aesthetic of that remake. Um, I, I would much rather. The graphics they didn't really change anything, did they? Well, they didn't change. No, no, not in terms of the way it plays. It's the same basic game, but uh, that aesthetic just makes it very difficult for me to enjoy. But yeah, I, you know, in an ideal world, you'd be able to switch back and forth and um, mm. be able to play either. Uh, as you prefer, but of course, capitalism um, gets in the way of that. Uh, Resident Evil Four would have been point. Resident Evil Four would have been a good example of that too. It would have been much better for them to package the two together as kind of um, a, a single release. And then, if you wanted to play the original Resident Evil Four, if you're one of the few people that don't have a version of that somewhere, then it would be there. <laughs> I mean, that, that's yeah, probably I, a, a silly example because it was kind of uh, it's so ubiquitous. But you know what I mean? Yeah. That yeah, if if you're going to do a remaster or a re-release, give people the original as well. That way, you've got that uh, recognition that things change over time, and that people can look back at the original in its context, I guess, uh, and not have that expectation that it plays like it does today. 
Yeah, the, the the one I was thinking about is the Diablo 2 remake that they did or remaster, where you could just hit a button and go back to the original visuals, which meant that it oh. went to six uh, six by four and all the sprites were chunky and kind of like impossible to see. And it was one of those moments for me playing it for the first time in, you know, 15, 16 years and being like, How do I how do I look at this? <laughs> I can't tell what's going on. My eyes don't work. <laughs> it was like, oh yeah. thank Christ, they actually remade it and made it like a visual like readable screen rather than this absolute nightmare i think that is the kind of the thing is that you just kind of have to accept that it's not going to be as good as you thought it was because a lot of modern game design has improved on the things that came from that people learned from those things and we're like oh okay this was good how can we make it better it is exciting it's nice <laughs>